0: Before we begin today's show, I'd like to take a minute to tell you about a new layer to the podcast. I'm now officially on Patreon. Have you ever thought to yourself after listening to an episode of this show, why didn't Derek think to ask that question? I know I certainly have. Then sign up at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast and you'll get the chance to ask the guest of this show a question. You'll also get early access to episodes and a chance to vote on show topics. And I'd also like to give a special shout out to our patrons, Steve Wise, Josh Shinnework, Tim Spivey, and Tanya Richter. Thank you guys so much for your contributions. And again, if you'd like to be a part of our growing community, just head over to patreon.com slash Podcast. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and I'm happy to welcome on the show today, writer and director, Miss Jessie McCormack. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I feel like this has been kind of a tradition the last several months since the pandemic hit. And I feel like I always have to start with this question is how have you been adjusting to you know, what we've been calling the new normal with the whole uh, COVID situation? Because we were talking before we started, you're located out in Los Angeles. So uh, how has it been affecting you?
1: You know, to be honest, it, it hasn't been all that different for me because I am a writer, as you mentioned, among other things. So I'm kind of used to <laughs> being home and writing all day. So it's not so different for me. And because I don't have kids, I'm not dealing with the homeschooling schooling and, and all of that. So I, I feel very fortunate because I know how tough this is for so many people and, and I really cannot complain about anything.
0: And it's interesting you bring up the whole writing aspect because that's been also a recurring theme on the show. Those who do write still have the opportunity to do that. You know, those who just strictly act or direct or do things that are strictly being on set haven't been able to do anything. And I know that some productions have been starting back you know slowly over the last couple of weeks, and there are others that are going to start you know in the near future. So that's good that you you still have that. You know, opportunity to practice one part of your craft and I- I'm hoping that whenever this is over and we get back to some semblance of normalcy that I think there's going to be this huge surge of creativity because all these people that have been writing are going to be able to actually get their projects made they're going to be able to cast you know actors in these specific roles find directors crew members there's going to be this huge surge, I think, specifically for independent and locally made productions.
1: I hope that's true. Um, I should also say that it's not like the writing has been so free flowing for me during the pandemic. It's definitely a lot more difficult to focus while this is all going on. And I know I've spoken to a lot of writers who feel the same way, but you're absolutely right. In fact, I'm thinking about all of these things that I can even just shoot on my iPhone right now. And just because I wanna keep being productive and keep making things. And, you know, I, I often say, and I'm, I'm sure this is not an original thought, but like having a lot of options can actually be quite limiting in a way because you're overwhelmed with, well, uh, I could go this way or I could go this way. But, you know, when you have parameters set up for you, and limitations, it really kind of focuses you and makes you think, okay, I need to work within these parameters. What what can I do? And sometimes the most creative stuff uh, comes out that way. So I, I, a lot of things are percolating and I have started writing some things and I, I'm actually really excited.
0: You hit the nail on the head. It in a way forces you to be more creative because you don't have 20 options that you can go out and have your movie or your short or your pilot, whatever the case may be, you have all these different options. But you know, you you mentioned an iPhone, you know, you can make a short on an iPhone if you want. You you can can make a
1: picture. I mean, I I don't know if you know about this movie Tangerine or whether your listeners do, but that movie was made was shot on an iPhone and it was fantastic. So it's really incredible what you can do now just with a phone.
0: I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to check that out. The whole thing was shot on an iPhone.
1: Yeah. Wow. It came out a few years ago. It, it it really knocked me out. Yeah, check it out, definitely.
0: That's fascinating. It's similar to a story I heard on my show sometime last year of someone creating a short shot entirely with a drone. So you <laughs> have that means, too. I was like, that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And that it's so is- unique and creative, too.
1: I love that idea. I love that. I want to do that now. The wheels uh, it, are spinning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Inspiration is hit on the show.
1: Yeah.
0: So kind of backtracking a little bit, what was it that initially made you want to venture into the world of filmmaking?
1: So I grew up in New York city and my parents took me to the theater quite a bit, uh, which was wonderful. They really went out of their way to expose me to the arts and and to support my creative side from a very young age. And I will never forget, my mom took me to see a chorus line on Broadway when I was a little kid. And I became obsessed with it to the point where she took me three more times to see it. I just could not get enough of the show. And I was singing all the songs as like an eight-year-old and was totally inappropriate (laughs) you know I don't know how (laughs) to know that song but it's if you know that show but it is uh it gets a little racy at times but um I knew when I watched that show well it wasn't even a conscious thought on my part but it it changed my life seeing that show and I just knew I I have to do that and I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but I just knew I wanna be a part of that. And the same thing happened to me when I saw E.T. in the movie theater. And this, you know, that's, I think so many filmmakers, my generation would say that that movie inspired them to become a filmmaker. I can't really think of anyone who is more responsible for more people going into a certain industry than Steven Spielberg. And that movie specifically, I will never forget seeing Elliot take off and on that bicycle with E.T. and John Williams' beautiful score swelling. And I just was like, "What?" You know, as as a little kid, I, I I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking of the memory of it. So those two things really sparked my fascination and passion with with the show business.
0: Well, those two names you mentioned, Steven Spielberg and John Williams, you could truly make the argument that they're the greatest to ever do their respective craft. Because you think of just the resume that both of those guys have, it's it's just absolutely incredible. And and mentioning E.T., I've often said that, because I grew up around that same generation of movies, there's something about movies from that era like E.T., like Back to the Future, The Breakfast Club, Ghostbusters, that have that... All of my
1: favorites.
0: (laughs) They have just such that unique charm that, to me, no other films from any other era have.
1: I totally agree.
0: And I don't really quite know how to explain it. I don't know if it's the story, if it was just the age we were when we saw them. But those movies from that era, to me, stand out more than than any other. From the 90s, even going back and watching movies from the 70s, there's just something about that early to mid-80s Feel that's just unmatched.
1: Well, I think certainly if you were a kid growing up then, I totally agree. I mean, the 70s, so many landmark movies came out, obviously, but they're up more geared towards adults. But if you were an 80s kid like I was uh, and I got to see all of those movies you named in a movie theater uh, with with packed crowds, remember those days <laughs> and um so I totally agree. Those movies were all inspirations for me, and I, I didn't know that I wanted to direct at that point. But I, it was this, the seed was was planted in my mind, and uh, I think there's an innocence about those films. Well, there's a few things. I think that they are smart commercial films. You know, a lot of the more commercial films today, I think, are kind of dumbed down, and they they might um you know it's all about kind of the lowest common denominator but back then i feel like commercial crowd pleasers were actually really smart like back to the future is a perfect example that is a brilliant movie i mean just the title alone back to the future i'm i'm dorking out here i know but um so yeah i agree to to be a kid growing up during that decade uh, you know, and seeing Indiana Jones in the movie theater and all—it, it, I feel so lucky. Yeah,
0: I didn't get to watch any of those in the theater because I was born in '86. But <laughs> you know, from a very early age, I remember watching them. You know, for those who don't remember VHS, watching those—you know—as as, as
1: a Max, I'm a little, I'm a little older than you, but uh, yeah, exactly. And did you wear out any of your VHS tapes because you oh. watched? So many times
0: <laughs> oh yeah yeah no. absolutely no I remember watching those from a very early age you know I have very vivid memories from seeing back to the future when I was a small kid and I appreciate it more now as an adult than I did as a kid because as, as a kid you know it's a fun movie with a teenager who just happens to have a time machine right but, but as uh, you know I'm yeah, older sorry like go on I was just gonna say that you know Now that I've been immersed in the filmmaking world and have been learning so much about it these last, especially these last three or four years, I appreciate it more now because you can make the argument that it's a perfect movie. Everything from the score, the story, the actors, all of it.
1: I completely agree. It is, it's timeless and it is, um, it's really a movie that everyone can enjoy. You can enjoy it with your kids. You can, it's, I agree, it's a perfect movie. And I am astonished at how well it holds up. I I, I watched it again fairly recently. And I also agree with you that seeing it as an adult, I have a new appreciation for it because I wasn't necessarily getting all the references when I was a kid watching it. And there's just all these subtle details in it that Robert Zemeckis snuck in there that are just kind of mind-blowing, especially watching, you know, I I watch, I'm able to kind of put my filmmaker hat away when I watch things, but then, you know, every once in a while I will kind of look at it as through my director's eyes and I'm just astonished by what he did. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's good that you can do that because, you know, I know that I've been guilty myself. Those who have worked in film, you look at it from a different perspective than just, you know, someone who's a fan might do it. So it's good that you can still, in a way, take the, the filmmaker hat off and enjoy it as a fan because all of us started as fans. Yeah. Those who work in film, we all started as fans of, you know, some specific movie or some show that made us want to do it.
1: Yeah, I think that's the key is to always remain a fan. And luckily that has not been an issue for me. And I still watch movies with that kind of childlike wonder, which is strange for me because I'm, I'm a cynical New Yorker. <laughs> but uh, not when I watch movies. And uh, if anything, I appreciate them more because I do have somewhat of an idea now what it takes to uh, make a film. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I, I love movies and that will always be the case no matter what happens.
0: Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. So from an early age, you knew that you, you were bitten by the bug of show business and you wanted to be a part of it. For
1: that, By the way, it's their fault.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's good. It's good that you had that support system though.
1: Oh my God. I, I feel so lucky. I really hit the jackpot with both my parents. They, they could not have been more supportive of me. It, yeah, it makes me emotional just to talk about it. Yeah.
0: So when, when did you, uh, or shall I say this? So what was it that you wanted to do first? Because you've done acting, you've done directing, you've done writing. What was it that you wanted to do first, and then how did you get to, to where you are now?
1: Definitely acting was the first thing I wanted to do. When I was in high school, I knew um, I was going to be an actor. And for some crazy reason, no one tried to talk me out of that. And uh, I was a part of this group in my high school called Performance Group, where we went around and performed in various high schools around New York City. and. It just was such an amazing experience. And I think even more than the performing aspect of it, it was the camaraderie that developed between me and my fellow classmates that really made me love acting. Um, and then when I went to college, I went to Brown, <clears throat> excuse me, That uh, and Brown has a really strong theater department. And I did a bunch of shows there and I was in the improv group and that only made me more certain, oh, I'm gonna be an actor. But then when I started doing it professionally, I, I was so disenchanted by the auditions I was going on and I wasn't even getting very many auditions that I decided to just start writing stuff as, as to generate opportunities for myself as a performer and so I wrote this uh, play for my dear friend Aliza Waxel and I to act in together. And then I sort of realized like, oh, I, I kind of maybe prefer writing to acting. And so I moved away from acting for a long time and just focused on writing. And I And I realized part of what was going on there was... I was acting in these shows that I was writing as a way of trying to direct them, (laughs) but I didn't really have the courage yet to actually declare I wanna direct this. So by acting in them, that was my way of trying to do that. I, I came to realize. So then I finally started directing and I made a short film and I made a feature film and I made this web series that we shot in London And so my main focus these days is writing and directing, but I did go back and I acted in this latest project and I hadn't acted in a long time. And I was really nervous about doing it, especially because I was wearing so many hats. I was, in addition to directing it and writing it and being an executive producer on it, I acted in this project and uh, it was definitely nerve wracking going in, but it was something I wrote with a to do with a dear friend of mine who is also an actor and her daughters in real life play her daughters on the show. So it was a real family affair and um, they helped me just shake the nerves off and, and plow ahead. So, yeah, that was kind of, that's the long winded answer to your question.
0: (laughs) No, that's, that's a great response. and It's interesting because those who usually start with acting at some point they get fascinated with the other aspects of the process, whether that be writing or directing. You know, I often use Ron Howard as an example. He was an actor for the longest time and now he's one of the most accomplished directors in the industry.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it is a cliche. What I really want to do is direct, you know, but it's a, it's a cliche for a reason. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. So, and another thing, a lot of people don't realize, You and you know, we'll get into your series in depth here in a second, but, When you work on a project like this, when it's really your baby, you know, you write it, you direct it, you wind up wearing a lot of hats and people still don't realize that with, you know, these types of projects, just the sheer amount of work that goes into it because you don't have the, you know, just the sheer number of people working on a project. So, you know, in your case, you know, in addition to directing it and writing it, you had to act in it as well. Like I probably would have pulled my hair out. (laughs) by doing that you know with with my short that I did you know I wrote it and directed it thankfully I didn't act in it because then it would have been arguably the worst thing ever but um no it's that kudos to you for that because I I can't even imagine you know the anxiety that that must have caused
1: oh thank you well I will say that I did try and weasel out of acting in it at the last minute but my friend's daughters who were Acting in the show they formed a coup against me and they said they wouldn't act in it if I didn't so I had no choice but to (laughs) To act in it and uh, I'm really I'm really glad I did Uh, But it was definitely nerve-wracking and I and I mean I was literally worried about things like am I even gonna remember my lines? You know, but because I wrote them it's easier to remember lines than than that you wrote so but Yeah, and I I have to say that we had such a wonderful cast and crew. These were all UK people, 99.9% of them I had never even met until we walked on set together. And uh, they were just such a wonderful and enthusiastic and hardworking, good-natured group. And I really can't say enough about them, and I would not have been able to do it um, had I not been surrounded by such talent and and good cheer, you know, there was a lot of laughter on that set.
0: I use this analogy almost ad nauseum on the show, but any type of project, whether it's a short, a feature, or in your case, a series, we're all little cogs in the big machine of the project, and it takes everyone working together from the director all the way down to PAs. If Absolutely. they don't work, then. The machine or the project doesn't work. So having having a good cast and crew is is so important because when they're invested in it, it almost, I don't want to say reinvigorates, but it almost reaffirms your faith in the project. When you see people who are as invested in it as you, oh, it, it makes it all worth it.
1: Absolutely. And I also want to mention our fantastic casting director, Theo Park, who got us some really terrific actors You know, web series haven't really taken off in the UK yet. So, uh, it was a leap of faith for all of these people to come on board. Um, And Theo, our casting director, you know, people read the scripts because of her, not because of me. And uh, fortunately, it all worked out. But, yeah, I mean, I just can't say enough about everyone. It takes a village to, to, to make these projects, as you well know. So yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well the show that we're talking about the series is called piss off i love you, which i love that title. By the just reading it makes me laugh. So what was it that inspired you to come up with the story for the show?
1: So i from the time i was a very little girl, i have spent a lot of time in the UK. My dad had business over there, so we would go over there every summer as a family for almost a month at a time. And then I continued going throughout my 20s and and my 30s. Uh, And it's just a place that's very close to my heart. So I always knew I wanted to shoot something there. And then Gaynor, my co-star in the show is this wonderful Scottish actress that I met about 10 years ago at a film festival. And we just immediately clicked and have been like family ever since, even though we're on opposite sides of the ocean. And uh, I thought, well, I want to write something for us to do together. And because I've already spent and she lives in London. And and since I I already knew London so well and had spent so much time there, I was able to call in a lot of favors from family, friends and friends. Just saying, can I shoot in your house for free? <laughs> you know, we got a lot of free locations. And one thing I'm really proud of is the production value of the show. I mean, we have actually more locations in this show than I did in in my feature film. And uh, our production designer, Karis Beard, did a fantastic job of. You know, sometimes we used one house as like four different locations, and so she would just dress up a room completely differently each time and she just was so talented and um, it was a joy to see what she would uh, cook up each time. But, so that is sort of why I, I wanted to shoot something over there. Strangely, I, I was able to get more free locations there than I would have even in Los Angeles where I lived. So it worked out really well and who doesn't want to shoot something in london right it's london come on so that's kind of how it worked out
0: yes i mean who wouldn't want to go to london and, yeah. and i i will say it cuz i've i've watched we're the first
1: allowed, we're not even allowed to go there now but yeah <laughs> hopefully someday i'll get back
0: one day soon hopefully
1: yeah. no that,
0: that's something cuz i i have watched the the first episode of the series and that was the first thing that jumped out at me is just how great the scenery looked the fact that You were actually able to go to London and film this because you know it it gives that authentic feel to what the story is about, and just seeing the scenery that's just so different than it is over here is different than you know. And I've never been to London, but just seeing the visual of it from your episode looks way different than anywhere else I've been in the United States. So that was that, and just the the pure humor in it. You know, I was laughing the entire time, and I was actually I was watching the episode uh, with my girlfriend, and she was disappointed that it was over as quickly as it was. She's like, "I want to see more." So uh, that was.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, there will be more episodes coming out soon. We're figuring out that next step of where the whole series will be seen. That's kind of the next step down the road. But uh, shooting in London. One of the great things about it was since I was working with all of these uh, local people, they were able to expose me to places that I didn't know about, even though I had spent a a lot of time there growing up. Um, So one of the things I'm proud of is that we show different parts of London that you don't necessarily see in in movies and TV shows. And uh, that was, really a goal of mine. I mean, London, to me, is is another character in the show, and it is a love letter to England. You know, I'm making fun of England and America, but it's all with great affection. Well,
0: and that's what I like about it, too, is that it plays the almost the satire point on both sides, on both the American and the the UK side. And just the the mix of that just made it, you know, extremely funny. Oh, everything thanks. from the, the very first you know, opening shot, because it, it, talk a little bit about what the show is about. So you play a, a TV host who moves over to London to be a part of a new show, explaining like the differences between America and the UK. And it, it plays off of a lot of things that are said about America and things that are said about the UK. And I, I love that you play both sides of it. So it's not really like you're knocking one side and praising the other.
1: No, I really wanted to be careful about that because I I, I am an equal opportunity offender. (laughs) And really, I it was like I said, it was all done in good fun and with great affection. And, uh, you know, you you make fun of what you love, you know.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. How did you come up with the actual story of you playing the, the television host moving over to London? Like, where did that idea come from?
1: Well, I knew that I wanted to uh, tell a story that would allow me to really show on screen the cultural differences between our two countries. And I thought, well, what better way to do that than have a show within the show that actually addresses that very topic? You know, because I love culture clash, humor, and another 80s film that really inspired me was uh, A Fish Called Wanda. I don't know if you've seen that one, but um, you know, it's several members of Monty Python are in that movie and uh, it's just one of my favorites. And it was definitely an inspiration for me, just in life, not just with this show. Um, I mean, with other projects that I've written as well. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where the genesis occurred.
0: One, well, something too that I notice as well is you can normally tell when actors are having fun on a <laughs> set. You know, I, I use, I don't know if you've seen the movie knives out, but it I had, yes. so it it had an incredible cast, but what I loved about the movie is you can almost tell that the cast are just having a blast Absolutely. making this film. And I got that same feeling from from this pilot that i watched is that you guys were having fun and it looked like a fun project to be a part of and whenever i'm watching something that you can tell that the cast is having fun it's almost infectious in a way where it pulls the audience in and makes them enjoy it as well
1: you use the exact word that i was going to say like you know when i watch people having Fun on screen it is infectious and I wind up having fun as a viewer and and so I'm really glad you said that and and that was my hope because we were we did have a lot of fun I mean I'm not gonna lie it was a lot of work I was exhausted (laughs) uh, wearing so many hats Um, but there was a level of comfort with this cast and crew that um, just made it so fun you know and You know, it's it can be very dicey working with your friends on on creative projects. But uh, and I I wouldn't have done it with most of my friends. (laughs) I think there aren't very many people I would have done this with simply because I would have been worried about will this affect the friendship. But uh, Gaynor, uh, who plays Scottish Gina on the show, there was just never a concern about that. And there was never a concern about her kids. Uh, and so it just took any worry about that away. And we, we all have so much fun together in real life. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to write this project was because I wanted to capture the fun we all have together in life and, and put it on screen with the hope that other people might have some fun watching us.
0: One, sometimes you think too, because I've done nothing that I would call like professional, but I've done segments with my friends and everything where we come up with stuff that we think is fun. And then you think, well, are other people going to find this fun? Like to me, that's one other thing that you can have concerns about when writing with a friend or collaborating with a friend. But in this case, it it came across very well.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, you definitely brought up a major concern. I I had, and it was one of the reasons why I I wanted to weasel out of acting in it because I I I was just worried about that, and I thought, well, let me try and get another actor in here, and so that I don't have to divide my focus. And um, but like I said, that that didn't happen, and uh, we did just have a really really wonderful time, and and. I will I not to sound cheesy about it, but I I will I will cherish the memories I have from making the show for the rest of my life. I really will.
0: That's not cheesy at all. No, I think that's awesome, actually. So you mentioned having just a blast on set and having the wonderful cast and crew to work with. Are there any stories that stand out as far as things that happened on set that stand out more than others that you can share?
1: I'm trying to think, Um, I mean, you know, there are always things you don't anticipate happening. And when you're in in, an independent production, like we were, you have to scramble to make it work. I mean, there were things, you know, where we had to shoot one side (laughs) of a scene on a different day than the other, because we only had a location for this amount of time or we lost the light or whatever it is. And uh, so it was a mad scramble at times, but that's the nature of independent filmmaking.
0: I can definitely feel you on that one. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next for you? Do you have any other projects that you have in the works?
1: Yeah, I am working on a couple of different feature films. I, I wrote a movie that is also a culture clash comedy where the lead role is a is a female, an American female, and all the other characters pretty much are, are British. And this is not something I w- would act in, but it is something I want to direct. It's a great role. A lot of women out there would be great in this role. And I would, I that is my goal, you know, once, Pandemia ends as I like to call it and uh, I'm I'm writing a couple different TV shows and then I'm working on these things that I want to shoot with my with my phone. Um, But that's sort of yeah, so I have a bunch of different things marinating right now and uh, it's exciting.
0: No, absolutely. Well, as we start to wrap up here, I do have a question from my Patreon, which um, I recently started a couple of weeks ago uh, from Steve Wise, who is also a filmmaker. And he's actually uh, I'll give him a shout out. He's actually my filmmaking mentor. Uh, He has been for the last couple of years. He he asks you um, if you've experienced these situations, what challenges do you have writing and directing your own work? And do you find this easier or more difficult than writing for another director or interpreting someone else's script?
1: Great question. Is that Steve who asked that? Yes. Great question, Steve. Um, I have not actually had the opportunity to direct anyone else's material yet. I'm totally open to doing it, but so far I've only directed my own stuff. So it's been a non issue so far. But, um, you know, there are, are def- there were definitely times with, like, with this last project where uh, I relied m- more heavily on a monitor than I probably would have because I was acting in the project as well as directing it. Um, so that, there are advantages to doing that and disadvantages. The advantages is as as the actor, I knew what the director wanted, <laughs> but I didn't know whether I accomplished that feat. So I would have to, we did play back a fair amount on this. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there are different challenges with everything. Well, it's say. good
0: that you had that self-awareness to be able to say, okay, well, we need to go back and watch that. Cause yeah, you mentioned, you know, almost in a half kidding way that yeah, as the actor, you know what the director wants cause you're also directing it. You know, I use a similar situation where with, with my short, the Parker syndrome, I wound up having to edit it myself. Mm-hmm. Where, and I wish that, you know, my one big regret is that I wish I'd had someone else do it because I put it together the way that I saw it as it should be put together I would have loved to bring someone else on to have that, you know, like extra set of eyes to um, to put it together in a completely different way.
1: That's crucial. I agree. I, I think having that um, objective separate pair of eyes is, is essential.
0: Absolutely. So do you have, uh, I always like to ask this uh, at the end of these shows, but what's one piece of advice that you have you could give to an expiring filmmaker?
1: I would say just go out and make stuff with your phone. And I mean, I, I sound like a parrot here. I know it keeps from saying that, but really you can re- go out and make anything on your own now. It's, it's, it's the great thing about being alive right now. You know, there are a lot of challenges going on in the world, but one thing that you can do is just start shooting stuff. And I really encourage anyone... Uh, who is an aspiring filmmaker or any filmmaker to to pick up your phone and get together with your friends and and go make stuff? Because even if you're not, um, even if you you're not so proud of the end result or it doesn't necessarily yield the results you want, you will learn so much doing it, and it it is the best film school you could ask for, and you'll apply all of that to the next thing you shoot, and so that would be my. Always is my first piece of advice.
0: I couldn't have said it any better myself. The best way to learn is to do. That's right. Absolutely. (laughs) And finally, do you have any website or social media that you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you?
1: Absolutely. I don't know if we mentioned that the first episode of Piss Off, I Love You is screening at the Dances with Films Festival on September 5th and 6th. And you can also check out our Facebook page, Piss Off, I Love You, and our Instagram page, Piss Off, I Love You. And if you want to check out my personal Instagram page, I'm at mccormick.jessie. So there are a few different ways you can find us.
0: Come along,
1: everyone. Join us.
0: (laughs) We'll definitely have one more follower as soon as we're done with the show. thanks so much. No, absolutely, and Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It was fun geeking out over 80s movies and talking about your project.
1: Anytime, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, and if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Podcast. You can subscribe to the show on all podcasting platforms, and also thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can check out all their music On Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. That's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I'm your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday.